Family Online Family. Thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala podcast. We are equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. I'm Ryan Gagnon. We will be hearing today from Pastor Michael Lockstam for as he continues our sermon series, Making Ends Meet, A Study in Ruth. We've prayed about how best to meet our community with the gospel message of Jesus. We believe this digital component is a way of meeting that community here on the internet. That's you. We hope God uses it to both encourage and challenge you. We also ask that you serve a local church body. Remember, you can't be the church by yourself. We've spent these last few weeks with Ruth and Naomi as they began a hard journey that seemed to have no hope at all. They had every excuse to throw in the towel and tap out. At times, it seemed like they wanted to do just that. Many of us have felt that way. The circumstances we find ourselves in seem too daunting to deal with. How could we possibly get through this? God often uses circumstances to shape his people, whether it's because our hearts have hardened or simply because we aren't listening to his direction. Sometimes those are the same thing. What we tend to do is miss how God is directing those circumstances to get us to a moment. He then calls us into action. We get to see that moment in these ladies' lives now. Listen for how Pastor Michael explains the context of what God had done in their lives up to this very point. Everything mattered, and God used it for their good and His glory. Let's listen in together as we learn from Ruth 3. When God sets the stage, He invites us to act. Um, This is a challenging text for us to talk through this morning, and I'm excited to try it because I feel like you guys are a good good group. You like to track with me. We can follow along. Um, But I'm going to give you the big idea up front as soon as my clicker turns on, um, that when God has set the stage, he invites us to act. So that's where we're going to be. We're going to be going all, there's going to be some details. There's going to be some legal stuff. There's going to be some places where we could spin off and get confused. Um, but this is the big idea of where we're going to. When God has set the stage, when God has lined up the dodgeballs, God invites us to act where somebody might reserve that invitation to Kid Nation. But before we get rolling, let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you for this morning, Lord. I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the ways that it is challenging to us. Lord, I thank you for the stories of those who have gone before us. I thank you for the ways that you have walked faithfully with them. With every step, you've been with them. And Lord, I thank you that your word is true and you are good on your promises and that you promise to never leave us or forsake us, that you'll be with us until the end of the age. God, we need you this morning. As we turn to your word, Lord, we pray that you would guard our hearts, that you would draw our hearts, that you would captivate our attention, and that we'd fall more in love with you. God, that we might grow in you. Lord, this morning as we begin, I pray that anything that I say that comes from myself, God, that would be quickly forgotten, but that your word, any representation of your word that is true, God, that it would stay forever embedded in our minds from this morning on. I thank you for this time. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to be in Ruth chapter 3, and that's on page 181 in the Story Bible, uh, our ESV 
Story Bibles here, and I'm going to turn there, page 181 in Ruth chapter 3. Now, if you remember, the book is named after Ruth, and Ruth is Naomi's daughter-in-law, but I really think this is Naomi's story. I think maybe we got the title wrong on this. This is Naomi's story. And Naomi had a rough life. Things did not go well. Everything that she planned kind of fell apart. And it seemed like every time she turned around to try to make ends meet, God pulled them apart and said, nope, not coming together. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And just kind of devastated her life to the place where she just didn't want anything to do. She felt like God had forsaken her. And then last week, we saw this, these models of friendship. And the, God sent just a little drop of hope to Naomi because of the friendship that Ruth had shown to her and of the friendship that Boaz had shown to Ruth. There was just a little drop of hope. So this morning we're picking up a bitter life with a little drop of hope in it in chapter 3, page 181. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, this is Naomi speaking to Ruth, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, and then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. I'm going to pause there. Just notice this with me. Naomi knows that Ruth has been taking care of her. And, and we don't time our lives by harvest times or, and, and, and reaping and those kind of, like, that's not how our calendar works. But just so you know that um, the chapter one happened in April, chapter two was the beginning of May, and now this is the end of, the end of May, the beginning of June that this is going on. They've, they've had the harvest, they've brought all the, the, everything in, and now they have to, to take it apart and, and make it ready to be able to use or to be able to sell. So it's been about three months that this is going on, and Naomi realizes, Ruth, you've been working hard. You've been out in the field. You've been gleaning for us. You've been, you know, like, and, and God's provided for us. But is it, wouldn't it be good for me to give you some rest? See, that little drop of hope that Naomi had, she realized, oh, hey, Boaz is related to us. And now Naomi is looking beyond making ends meet. It's, it's subtle. It's really, really, it's really, really subtle. Where Naomi before said, I've just been trying my whole life to make, to make things work, to get bread on the table. Now God is providing bread on the table. We are able to eat. But is this everything that God has for us? Shouldn't I be able to give Ruth, my daughter-in-law, some rest? She cares about what's going on. She cares about the person who's caring for her. And so she, what, what are her instructions? She says, is not Boaz a relative with whom, whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. So she says, hey, uh, Ruth, you know, get dolled up. It's time to wash. Now, I, I've, I'm inclined to think like, you know, the makeup and make yourself attractive and things like that. But I think there's another component, too. In focusing in on Naomi's sorrow, we've forgotten that Ruth was a widow, too. That Ruth also had lost her husband. And that Ruth had been faithful to Naomi in the midst of her own grief. 
And she had walked and stepped into Naomi's grief with her own grief and that she was likely mourning too and had been in a season of mourning. And now Naomi turns to her and says, it's time for you to get some rest. And in order for you to get some rest, it's time to put away that season of mourning put a, and wash yourself. Get yourself cleaned up, put on, you know, your nice robes, put your makeup on, you know, put your perfume on, that kind of stuff. Get, it's, the time for mourning is over. Your husband's gone. It's time to move on. And as Americans, as Westerners, I don't know that we ever take those seasons to mourn very well. There's, we we want to get into work the next week. Like, okay, that happened, I got the funerals done, and now I, I got to get back in there because I don't want to think about it. I don't want to feel the feelings that I'm feeling. But I think we can learn something from taking that season of mourning and being in a season of mourning and being okay with being in a season of mourning and us being okay with other people being in a season of mourning, letting them mourn so that at some point we can say, we've mourned now. It's time to wash. It's time to step forward. And that's what Naomi is doing here. We've mourned, we've worked, we've, we've got, God's taken care of us. It's time to take the next steps. Does that make sense? We're following? So she says, wash and go down. Um, now, he's going to be at the threshing floor. This is kind of a picture of a threshing floor. This is a modern one. This is a National Geographic photograph. And so what would happen is they would harvest all their wheat, and then they would drag it up to the top of a hill, and they would, they would stomp it. They'd crush it somehow. And here they're using some cows that are going to walk on the wheat and crush everything. And then they take their pitchforks. You can see they take their pitchforks, and this is why they're at the top of the hill. Take their pitchforks and throw it up in the air, and all of the chaff, all of the bad parts of the plant or the plants that's not usable, all of those things blow away. They're at the top of the hill, so that the wind blows it away, and all of the seed falls down to the ground. So everybody's harvesting at the same time, remember. And so everybody's got to thresh. Everybody's got to prepare their harvest at the same time. So this was like a seasonal thing that they had to do. They would harvest, and then they'd go and thresh. But there's only so many hills in the, in the town, right? So they'd have threshing floors set up, but there would be multiple guys with multiple harvests that would try to be threshed at the same time. And so they'd just camp out next to their harvest because there's, you can't leave your harvest. Like somebody's going to come and they're going to take it. And so what's the best way to take care of it? You just sleep beside it. And we get some of this imagery also in, in Jesus is saying, I'm the door. The shepherds would do the same thing, keeping their sheep. You know, you take care of what God's given to you. You sleep beside it. That's what they're doing. So she's saying, hey, let him go and do a hard day's work. Let him have his dinner. Go up there while he's working and then approach him later. But don't let anybody know you're there until you approach him. This is like this, this secret stealthy thing, Right? You, you get the flavor of where I started. There, there's a hint of like, why is she going to him at night? What's happening here? Scandal. Let's read it. In verse 6. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, Who are you? She answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. I'm going to pause, because you, you, you get the flavor of the scandal here, where people really want to jump in here and take it all apart. Something else that you didn't pick up in, in our English translation of this is that when she says uncover their feet, like 
the Hebrew word isn't really clear about how far that goes up. And so there are some people who say, Jesus, I ripped his whole robe off. And it's like, there. Um, I, don't, I don't see that kind of thing happening because she comes and she uncovers his feet and then she lays down and he doesn't wake up. Like, I don't think he's had that much to drink. Like, he, he's, had, he's had a long day. He's had a hard day. He's worked. He's threshed. He's done all that. He's had his dinner. He's laid down. He's sleeping. And, and you know, I don't think he's, he's, he's having a party because obviously he's not done yet. He's got to wake up and do it in the morning. He's not going to be hungover if he's got to work the next morning. He's laying down by the grain. But she, she comes up and she uncovers his feet and lays down. And it takes him till midnight to realize there's something wrong. My feet are cold. Y'all, I don't, y'all know this, like doing the blanket cover up, one foot out, the other one out. You know, and then you got, when you're married, you got another whole body heat situation to try and negotiate. Anyway, y'all know that. That's real human. She comes and she uncovers his feet and lays down. She, she's, she's making a proposal. And, and what is it that she, he says, who are you? She, uh, he obviously did not know that this was happening. And if they were already sleeping together, it seems like an odd point for him to ask him that question right now. Like, who are you? Like, he should know. So I say all of that to say I don't think there's any impropriety going here. I think it is as it's written as you read it, plain text. Don't read into this. This is the point I'm trying to make. Don't have to read into it so much. Okay? We're good? I'm more uncomfortable than you guys with this, so okay, I'm going to move on. <clears throat> okay. So she comes and she lays down his feet. Who are you? She says, I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over me. Now, wings, like, where is that coming from? What does that mean? Like, what, what is, what is, what is, what's going on here? See, if you remember when they first met, that first interaction that they had, and Ruth said, who am I that you would pay any favor to me? He says, I've seen what you've done with your mother-in-law. I've seen how you're committed to her. And I've seen how you've forsaken your mother and father and their gods. And now you're coming and you're serving Naomi and you're serving her God. You have come under the protection of Yahweh. You've come under his wings. He uses the exact same phrase. You've come under his wings. And so now she has gone to him and said, yes, I acknowledge that I've come under the protection of Yahweh. I'm asking to come under your protection. And we don't, I don't know that we think about a marriage covenant in this way so much. Like we think of it more as lovey-dovey and that kind of thing. But she said, no, 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 I need your protection. Would you, would you protect me? Would you spread your wings over me and take care of me? And that's why we, we read Psalm 36. It's the same idea in those first couple of verses of Psalm, <clears throat> Psalm 36, that we come under God's protection, that we come under his wings, and he takes care of us. So how does he respond to all of this? Let's read it. Verse 10, And he said to her, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter, you have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So let's pause here. A couple of things. First is, may, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. Like, may God bless you. 
because you've made this last kindness is greater than the first. Did anybody read that and go, what was the first one? What did she do for Boaz that he would say, that first thing is like, this next one is, is, is kinder. I think it's, he's acknowledging that the kindness that, he showed, that she has showed to Naomi was a kindness to his family. Like, you've left your family and you have taken care of my family because Naomi's a relative of mine. That last kindness that you did, like, this one is greater. And why is it greater? It's in the text. You can read it. Because he's old! He's like, look, you're an attractive young lady. You've got a lot of prospects. And I'm an old guy. And you could have had your pick of anybody in Bethlehem. It's a small town. You could have had your pick, whoever you wanted to go with. And you came after me. Like, you're, you're, you're choosing me. Like, this a bolster him up. He feels good about that. That's exciting. This last kind has been greater than the first. And now, my daughter, do not fear. Do you see there's some trepidation in there? Do not fear. I will do all that you ask for me as a fellow, as a fellow townsman know that you are a worthy woman. This is big, too. This is one of those things, if you're not paying attention, you could just kind of miss over and, and keep going. Does anybody remember in chapter 2 how Boaz was described when they introduced, in Boaz, eh, as they introduced Boaz in Ruth chapter 2, verse 1? I'm giving you where it is. He's a worthy man. Why is it significant that Boaz, who is a worthy man in Israel, has said to Ruth, everybody knows you're a worthy woman? Why is it significant that Boaz, who is a worthy man in Israel, would say to Ruth that the whole town knows that Ruth is a worthy woman? Okay. Right, but why that that might be the case, but why is it significant? He cares about his reputation. There's no two ways about that. Who is Ruth? Ruth the Moabite. <laughs> I did, that, I did that all last week. I know it drove some of you crazy. But every time you read the book of Ruth, those first two chapters, it says Ruth the Moabitess. Pah. Like, they, they keep bringing it up. She's not from here. She's not from around here. She's a Moabitess. And so for Boaz, who's a worthy man in Israel, to turn to her and say, everybody in town knows that you're a worthy woman. This is the first chapter. This is the first time that Ruth's name appears in the book that they don't say Ruth the Moabitess. She has shown her faithfulness to Yahweh, and now she has left behind the life that she had in her former town, and now they're saying, everybody knows your character and what God has done in you and how you've taken care. You are a worthy woman. You were far, far away from Israel. You were far, far away from God, but now you've come near, and now you've come under his protection, and your reputation isn't Ruth the Moabitess. It's you're a worthy woman. And so I'm going to take care of you. It is not a mar on my reputation to take you on. This is, I'll redeem you. 
Now, here's where we get to our Leviticus 25 tattoo, you know, redeemer and land and all of those kinds of things. And I'm going to try to explain this to you in a nutshell, um, but there's a lot of caveats that I don't know that we can get into. The, the basic idea is, remember all the way back, Israel was a nation of slaves. They worked for Egyptians. Like, that was their job. They were in slavery, and God came in and said, y'all are my people. I'm taking you out. I'm going to give you a land. When he brought them into the land, the thing he said over and over again was, this is my land. This is my house. I'm letting you live on it. I'm going to divide it up into your different tribes, and everybody's going to have their own room, but this is my land. Don't forget it's my land. And just in case you forget that it's my land, I'm going to make it so that every seven years, all the property sales that you guys have done, they reverts back to the way it was supposed to be, because this is my land. It's supposed to be the way I wanted it to be. Anybody have, like, a house and, and kids in the house? And they're like, this is my room. And you're like, oh, your room. Let me see, let me see, <laughs> let me see, let me see your uh, signature on the mortgage here. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what God is saying. He says, y'all are my kids. This is my land. I'm letting you stay in it. You take care of it. So when one of you, y'all are family, when one of y'all starts making bad financial decisions, because that happens in families sometimes, when y'all start making bad financial decisions and he digs himself in a hole, every seven years I'm going to reset everything so that he doesn't stay that way forever. This was a kindness that God built into their structure that unfortunately it doesn't look like they ever did. Because when they go into judgment, he says, y'all kept forgetting the Jubilee, and that's how I'm going to tie, tie out how long you're going to be under judgment. So it's unfortunate that it didn't ever work, but legally, like, this is a really, really cool concept. And this Redeemer concept is part of that, in that if somebody dies or somebody gets sick and there are no children to carry on, then the family's responsible for taking care of each other. And this is like cooties for us. We're like weird, you know, brother-in-law, marrying sister-in-law and things, and that's weird for us. But, th but think about it this way, because we have um, stone and things like that. These people lived in tents. They were, they were slaves, and they lived in tents, and they didn't have anything that was permanent, and there was no chance that they were ever going to see their name written down, most likely. There's, there's nothing permanent for them to hold on to. And so for a woman to be able to say, like, this is my child, and he will, he will live on after me, and he will carry on my name because it's not going to be written down. Nobody's going to find it anywhere. Like, he, he's going to be the one that carries it on. Like, this is a big deal for them. So this whole idea of a redeemer is this legal concept that takes care of people who don't have history. The, his, the only history they have is the history that they remember. And whose history do you remember better, your family history or your neighbor's family history? Your own. Uh, even people who are, like, really into genealogies, like, they're really into genealogies about their family. Do you, does that make sense? So if you're going to be remembered, this is how it works. And so God says, I'm going I'm to make a provision so that the name continues on. And Boaz says, I will redeem you. I will be the one who steps in and, and redeems you. I will marry you and raise up sons for Elimelech. Remember him? I will do that. But, he says, there's somebody who's closer relation. There's somebody who's got first dibs. So lay down, sleep, you know, whatever. I'll do it. I'll take care of this tomorrow. But it's either going to be him or me. He's got the first pick. If he doesn't do it, then I'm going to do it. But you lay down. And how do you sleep after a conversation like that? Like, 
you, you as a young woman have proposed marriage to this guy, and he's like, yes, asterisk. <laughs> yeah, I'll marry you if the other guy doesn't want to marry you first. It's just a little bit interesting. So let's read what happens next. In verse 14, that last paragraph of Ruth chapter 3. So she lay at his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring out the garment that you were wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. And then she came in, uh, then she went into the city. And when she came to her her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. And she replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the, the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. So she wakes up. They get moving before daylight. Anybody can see what's going on. And, she, and, and Boaz is saying, I want to protect your reputation. I realize that what you've done is risky and that there's a chance where people will look at this and say there was some impropriety going on and I don't want that to happen. Like, nothing happened, and so I want to protect your reputation in that, so I'm going to say it. Nobody, nobody needs to know this. Okay? Okay. Signed off. Now you go home, and I'm going to give you food. Like, you're going to go and, and, and take this back to your mother-in-law. Your mother-in-law sent you. Remember, it was all Naomi's plan. Naomi's the one that came up with this, and I don't know if Ruth was really into Leviticus 25 or if she knew all the ins and outs of how this was going to work. But she trusted Naomi to follow Naomi's plan. So Boaz says, hey, take this food back to Naomi. And here's the funny thing to me. Like, she comes back, and Naomi's like, how did you fare, my daughter? Like, they're, they're giggling. Like, where she was so bitter, like, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. I am bitter. I went away full, and God let me back empty. She's like, how'd you fare? How'd it go? Tell me everything. I want to know what happened. Like, she's so happy. Yeah. And, and Ruth tells her what happened and, and everything that's going on. And, and Naomi just sits back and says, don't worry. I know enough about Boaz to know he's going to take care of this today. When God has set the stage, he invites us to act. I'm going to leave you with that cliffhanger of what's going to happen next. I really want you to know. We're going to come back next week, and we're going to talk about it. But do you see, like, all of these pieces have come together. It's been three months in the making. And Naomi had a decision to make, like, I can continue to just be sour and just say, God has abandoned me, and yeah, I've got this, this Ruth girl who won't leave me alone, but at least she's feeding me. And she just sits around and just, and, but she moves beyond the idea of making ends meet and says, should you not have some rest? We can't sustain this forever. We've done this for a season, but it's not going to be able to go forever. And so she's looking at the pieces. She had forgotten that she had any other relatives. And God reminds her, not only do you have relatives, you have worthy relatives, people of good character. Right? And not only did you forget, but I led you back to them from your perspective accidentally. And so Naomi could sit back and say, okay, God, thanks for, uh, thanks for lunch today. Like, what are you going to do tomorrow? Give us this day our daily bread. I got it. What are you going to do now? But instead, she's saying, okay, this is not sustainable. We've got Ruth, a widow, and we've got Boaz, 
and, and he's a worthy guy, and we've got this legal thing, and maybe it can work out. Maybe it could work out. I've got a drop of hope, just a drop, that this could work out for everybody to be able to do better. But Naomi has to come up with the plan. Naomi has to give Ruth the instructions. Ruth has to be willing to follow this crazy plan. You realize you're telling me to go to a man's bedroom at night? Do you understand what that sounds like? And I don't know how close their relationship was. I imagine at this point they were pretty close. But still, like, you're telling me to go to and uncover his feet? Like, I don't know. But the stage was all set. All the pieces were there. And it was whether or not the people decided to act on what God had set up. So a couple of questions. Are we looking beyond simply making ends meet? This is hard for me because I get the, the, the tyranny of the urgent. I get that you got to get your paycheck this week. I get that you got to put food on the table. And I understand that life just keeps going. My new favorite phrase for this year has been life don't stop. Every time I turn around, I think I've dealt with something and I've got 10 other things that I got to deal with. Life just don't stop. And I got to keep doing it. Like you can't tap out. You just got to keep rolling with it. And so sometimes I'm just dying, like praying, God, please help me. Help. I just want to bring the ends together. I just want him to touch for a little bit, just for one minute. Just hold him right there. I just want But Naomi says, isn't it good for you to rest? Wouldn't it be good for us to move beyond trying to make ends meet and to be able to flourish in what God has for us? We start with the need. And God brings us to a place where he says, I'm going to provide for you richly, much, much more than you could even you didn't even remember that you had family. Where might be God setting a stage for you to make a change? This is a question I can't answer for you. You know your life. You know the pieces. You know the people that are involved. You know the job that you're in. You know the jobs, you know, how it's working out. Where might God be setting a stage for you to make a change? And what would that look like? Will you seek God and say, God, I see these situations and I see what could happen and I want for this to work out, but I don't really know. God, will you give me direction? Will you give me wisdom? Will you, will you lead me along in this? Would you help me to play my part in the stage that you've set to pick up the ball and to chuck it at somebody's face if need be? But I don't think we can do it alone. Naomi's plan wasn't just for Naomi to do. Naomi had to trust Ruth. Ruth had to trust Naomi that Naomi wasn't throwing her under the bus. So who will you trust to help you play your part? We've, we've got this idea that I can just be me and God and, and we can take care of things together. And I think he designed the body of Christ to work together as a body. I don't know. It's a crazy idea. We like to think that, well, God brought me and he brought, baptized me into himself and I'm part of this body and so I can run off and I can do hand things all by myself and I don't need an arm. But who will you trust to help you play your part? Yes, trust. You'll have to trust people and that's scary. But I think it's the way God has designed for it to work. 
Thanks again for listening. We hope you've been challenged, encouraged, and helped by God and His Word. If you want more information about Grace Church of Ocala or would like to get in contact with us, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org. And if we haven't met yet, we hope to talk with you soon.